Seven minutes after 10 a.m., you're listening to The Talking Point. My name is Oliver Dixon. Thank you so much for staying with us. If you just joined us, welcome to the show. In this hour, we're going to be talking about the state of readiness of our institutions of higher learning, post-high school education in South Africa. Not just the state of readiness, but really on a long-term perspective, zoomed out conversation, what does our history look like and what does that inform us about the future of higher education institutions in the country? How do we plan for it? Um, And like what that would require as far as resource input is concerned. Our guest for this segment is the Director General of the Department of Higher Education and Training, Dr. Nkosinati Sishi. Uh, Dr. Sishi, thank you so much for your time. Good morning. Uh, very good morning to you and all the listeners. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Before we speak about present, what's 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 presently uh, the state of higher education in South Africa. Let's let's take a historical view to it. And maybe as uh, by historic I mean as far back as 1994. We would have known then that there would be a increase in population that there would be a higher demand as was the goal of the government uh, at the time the Mandela administration to get more and more young people into higher education into post high school educations. Um, and we knew that there would be an increase in in, 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 in that demand and a resource constraint uh, as far as that is concerned. We haven't built much new universities uh, in the last 30 years, have we? We have. Uh, we, we've got two brand new universities. Uh, the University of Salt Lake, Salt Lake University in, in Northern Cape and the University of Mpumalanga. And uh, we are already, as we speak, uh, in the process of uh, finalizing a feasibility uh, for two additional universities. Uh, besides this uh, infrastructure, uh, you know, has been prioritized over time, and uh, each and every university is a beneficiary of an infrastructure plan uh, that uh, allocates funding mm-hmm. uh, to our institutions. Uh, but I, I understand that the question is much more about the fact that uh, the, the, de- the demand uh, keep increasing. And uh, I think we have to look into the reasons why the demand for university education has increased. I think uh, we are one of those abnormal uh, countries where young people, uh, students aspire to to go to universities rather than alternatives that are made available, such as your college education Mm -hmm. that involves your technical and vocational education. Perhaps largely because we might not have uh, invested uh, uh, as much and and maybe communicated as much, uh, you know, to young people through our career guidance and and, and career pathing programs. Uh, this is work that we must still do. We are already planning that uh, in the next five to ten years, we are going to be turning this around such that at least our college system must be able to absorb uh, nothing less than four to five million students from 800,000 currently, uh, which is the capacity of our college system. Yeah, uh, Two universities over 30 years is, like I said, not much. How many did we need to build to meet today's demand? Uh, it is no longer about how many now. It is more about the diversity of offerings by the universities. As you know, quite a, 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 a number of universities offer uh, similar programs, uh, and this is actually 
putting pressure on those universities that uh, are specialized in the in their in their offerings um for example uh, we we do not have the, the our biggest problem with admissions right now is that the majority of students wants to do a, a, a set of subject areas and once it is full in those areas they are no longer able to access uh, uh, education because they prefer that um, if, if if they want sciences or if they want to to to, to do commerce so i think this is the 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 the, the largest uh, issue that institutions are dealing with uh, but uh, over time you can see now that uh, we are gradually getting yeah. uh, to not, resolve it. I'm not understand. I I'm not sure that I understand how that would be a problem, right? So maybe let me use myself as an example. I grew up in a really impoverished township. Um, I the prospects of escaping poverty were dim to me, and the only other successful person that I knew in the township I grew up with happened to be a chemical engineer. And to me, it was like, okay, if that's how you escape poverty, that's what I'm going to do. And I just so happened to also be good in science and maths. And so I took a path towards chemical engineering. For me, that was a formidable way to escape poverty, to make a, a to, 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 gear, to skill myself up towards a, a, a future where I am em- employable. That's the calculation many young people are making. Uh, surely it's a good thing for us if most young people want to be doctors, if most young people want to be engineers, if most young people want to be scientists, if most young people want to be uh, finance experts, bankers, uh, accountants, professional skills grow an economy, don't they? Uh, absolutely. And and this is particularly the reason why, uh, if you look in those subject areas, we've significantly increased numbers. And I think uh, that is where the issue of planning comes comes up, because you 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 do not just uh, you know um uh, all of a sudden you know uh, uh, you know um accommodate uh, students in a particular area without you know your 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 capacity in the institution such as your your lecturer development and i think you we we are well uh, reported in terms of our programs for lecturer development uh, we've got funding, for example, for university capacity development uh, in all of these uh, key areas to expand and increase the, the capacity uh, yeah. for our institution to accommodate more students in those areas. But obviously, uh, more and more demand in those areas uh, mm-hmm. uh, keep uh, being the issue. And I think uh, I've isolated this issue because I want to upfront indicate that notwithstanding the successes that we have reported but there are still problems of the nature i've cited mm-hmm. can you can you give us an idea about what capacity we have today how many in those professional skills groups that we just spoke about briefly you don't have to go through all of them but how many are we producing how many are we graduating how many engineers doctors uh, accountants lawyers are we graduating every year okay i am um, perhaps i could answer the question like this we've got about 1.1 million uh, uh, young people that uh, um, uh, are admitted at our at our universities uh, 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 currently. Yeah. Uh, of the of the million 1.1 million, we've got about 17,000 uh, that are uh, enrolled in engineering, 
uh, which uh, w with about 18,000 in life and physical sciences, about 1,000 in animal sciences, about 300 in veterinary sciences, uh, um, and 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 teacher education, which takes a, a bigger number, about uh, thirty thousand. Um, uh, so, oh, oh, if you look it into these numbers alone, you can see that it's still not as big as uh, you would like to see, given mm -hmm. the the benefits yeah, of the economy. But the reason for it, it's because in basic education, subject combinations have not yet aligned to the kind of capacity that will see the increase in this regard. Mm. So if you want to see a change in this area, you have to look at systemic improvements across basic and higher education. And a lot of work is being done in this regard. And as you can see, if you look at the young people that have passed their metric in, in 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 critical subject areas in basic education. It is clear that the numbers are are are, are, in, are increasing, and and uh, if you want to look at the the, the distribution uh, in terms of the young people uh, that have uh, passed in these areas in 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 in, in the metric results that yeah. have uh, come in the in this area, we can see that almost uh, 61 percent. Of, of students um, that have passed me, uh, uh, with an endorsement, they are in critical areas. So it means there is a shift in this area, but the majority of students still, uh, you know, are not yet there. And I think that's where our career path and career, career guidance needs to look into. That 1.1 million figure of students in universities today, is that the full capacity of our universities combined? Yes, that's that's currently the full capacity of our universities combined. Uh, our our plan is that uh, by 2030, we increase that capacity to 1.6 million. Right, 1.6. That's the target by 2030, which is what seven years away for us. Absolutely. That's why we 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 are on our path to uh, making proposal to cabinet. Uh, right now, after we've completed a, uh, feasibility studies for two new universities, one that is going to look into science and innovation, and the other university that is going to look into uh, uh, policing and crime detection. Okay. So how many universities do you need to build over the next six years, uh, over the next seven years to absorb 500,000 students to make it 1.6 million? Um. The, the, the necessity for additional capacity is not necessarily a, a, a requirement for additional universities as for it is uh, uh, about uh, improving the capacity of existing universities. So what we plan to do for the next seven years is to keep improving uh, you know, our infrastructure plan uh, that seek to uh, build additional campuses uh, in critical areas. Mm. Uh, in this regard, you will then increase the capacity, uh, you know, that you need without having to employ new lecturers and 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 all that comes with establishing a new university. Mm. Universities in future that we 
will uh, venture into establishing are universities that seek to diversify existing offerings mm. by our uh, by by the current uh, you know you know institutions as you know uh, the crime detection and policing has not been the major focus uh, in the training of uh, the police in in our country and uh, this is the area now that we are moving into. Science and innovation obviously is uh, is key if uh, we're going to drive the economy towards uh, the direction that we've articulated. And in this regard, we have um, uh, already finalized the plans yeah. that are, are awaiting cabinet approval. I know you said feasibility studies are still underway, but what would the investment have to look like to absorb 500,000, half a million additional students over the next seven years? Uh, if I were to just uh, give you figures, uh, it, it has taken us about 13, 35 billion uh, to build salt black universities. Wow. About 42 billion, about 42 billion to to build uh, the the salt black Mpumalanga um, uh, University. So um, you you can see that it's quite a costly exercise to do so. But uh, if you look at uh, the, uh, anywhere in the world where you build a university, you will see towns emerging, which means yes. it is a, 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 there are other benefits to the economy beyond the education. Uh, if you look at what has happened in Northern Cape as a result of the new university of Sol Plaki, that the town is, has changed. Uh, you know, uh, small and micro enterprises are emerging. And, and there are better options for, for people. Tourism is flourishing. Mm. All of these are, are, are benefits of um, building institutions, uh, you know, after careful planning uh, that uh, has, has to underpin an exercise of this nature. And therefore, it is not about money to us. It is uh, about uh, the fact that you will measure the growth of our de- democracy on the basis of institutions we build. Yeah, 30, 35 billion. What's the capacity of 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 uh, Salt Lake University? And, and, and you know, I asked it because one person <laughs> described it as a just a large high school, and that sounds like a lot of money for that. But I'll, I'll give you an opportunity <laughs> no. to answer that on the other side of this very quick break. Hashtag SFM Talking Point. We continue the conversation. We're in conversation with the Director General of the Department of Higher Education and Training. And we're also in conversation with the uh, Chief Operating Officer of Nesvas Ntuseng Mpahele. DG, before we went to the break, I, I just I just wanted to make sense of that 35 billion rand investment into Salt Lake University when some, when people often describe it as just a large high school as far as capacity and by capacity, I mean, uh, headcount is concerned. What, what's what's Salt Lake's capacity? Uh, the Salt Lake's capacity is 30,000 currently. 30,000 so, currently. Uh, so your largest uh, high school is about two thousand today. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. Uh, besides this, uh, the cost of uh, building uh, institutions of higher learning uh, largely um, uh, goes to equipment and uh, 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 research capacity that you, de- you develop. Yeah, uh, it is not just the, the walls and and the and the and, and the external. Absolutely. Uh, in in my own cal- cal- calculation, Salt Lake has the potential to be one of the best universities in the country. Absolutely. Uh, Ntusang, I want to bring you into the conversation. Building a university is one thing, but financing 
learners to be able to be in those universities is what looks like the greater cost to us because it's not a once-off cost. It's an ongoing cost that keeps growing every year the more and more people we matriculate and the more of them become eligible for higher education either at a diploma level or at a degree level. How much do we currently spend uh, on uh, through NESFAS on free education for higher for learners in higher institutions? Um, maybe if you allow me to just go back a little bit. Uh, in the financial year 2014-15, the budget for NSFAS was about $5 billion. By, by 2020, that budget has in, increased three times uh, to be close to $40 billion, to, to, to $20 billion. And uh, currently, we're talking about uh, up to $47 billion budget. Yeah. So you can actually see that uh, the, 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 the state has invested significantly in ensuring access uh, to, to, to higher learning and post-school education and training. So that was and, that uh, this five, is significant because that five billion so, escalation from that escalation from five billion to 15 billion happened over how many years? Over three financial years. Oh wow. Was this and after the announcement by President Jacob Zuma unceremoniously uh, one year in the December that there will be free education? Well, what's important is that that, that budget is is almost is doubled now to 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 forty seven billion. Forty seven so, billion for this fiscal. For, for this fiscal. And to say, so, uh, sorry, can I just pause you there, DG? Uh, and to say, I want to bring in how is that forty seven billion being spent? Oh, seems like we've, uh, we've lost in Tusang over there. But DJ, yeah, how is that forty-seven billion being spent? Okay, forty-seven billion uh, cover accommodation, it cover tuition, it cover living uh, uh, expenses of students, allowances, uh, learner support material, and uh, and uh, and and it it cover uh, uh, transportation. Yeah, and and how much of it goes to Nesvas's administrative cost, operational costs? Operational I, costs I, at NSFAS are, are, are I, very low yeah. at, at, at less than 10%. Let's, let's, let's get those details from Untuseng, who's the COO of uh, NSFAS. Untuseng Mpahele, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Uh, $47 billion is being spent. Do you mind giving us a budgetary breakdown of what that looks like? So um, the, the $47 billion includes Funding for universities, which is estimated at around 39 billion. It also includes funding for Tibet colleges at 7 billion. And the balance of it, which is just like less than 10%, is, is for operational costs. Uh, the budget of that, from my calculation, would be uh, 39 plus 7 takes us to 46. So a billion rand is spent on operations. Just under a billion rand. Um, I am looking at it just basically from the student. In fact, if I remember correctly, our budget for actual operating costs is just close to 400 million. Mm, mm. Uh, DG, how many students do we have in TVET colleges? Uh, currently, uh, we've admitted about 700,000 uh, mm. with a capacity of 850,000. And university, we have 1.1 billion, as you said, and that is 1.1 million, my apologies, and that's the full capacity. So we have more university uh, 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 students than we do uh, TVET colleges. Is that a picture you want to, is, is the intention to turn those numbers around? Uh, what should that ratio look like? 
absolutely. Uh, that's why in our plan, we would like uh, uh, colleges, uh, which is your community education and training colleges and TVET colleges to be the institutions of choice for every young person in South Africa, as it is anywhere in the developing world. Mm. Uh, universities um, uh, can be the 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 focal point, the you know of uh, you know uh, the career path of of every young person in a country like yeah. ours. So work is being done uh, to 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 turn this around, and uh, we are happy to see that uh, already in, in a number of our colleges, we're beginning to see. Uh, the, the 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 offering the program uh, mix of these institutions uh, embracing you know uh, technological subjects technical subjects that are aligned to the fourth industrial revolution give us a call 0860002032 let's hope our line holds for you over there we're taking your whatsapp voice notes on 0614104107 if you'd like to make a comment if you'd like to contribute to this conversation uh, and let us know what is on your mind as far as this is concerned we're in conversation with Dr Nkosinati Sishi who's the director general of the department of higher education and training we're also in conversation with Untuseng uh, Mpahele who's the uh, chief operating officer at Nesfas it's a minute after half Past 10, let's take your news headlines with Anne Musa. Hashtag SAFM Talking Point. My conversation talking about the state of readiness of higher education institutions in South Africa as uh, students are getting ready to begin their university's careers to those who have just passed matric and do qualify and have been accepted into uh, any of our institutions in South Africa uh, and those who will be returning to campuses. Um, and to saying, this is where perhaps I want to bring into uh, stark, uh, you know, consideration. Nesfas's operational uh, soundness. Uh, every year, it seems to be that there's administrative issues around students being approved, students being frustrated. Uh, oftentimes, it leads to protests uh, and delays. Many students complaining that they receive their allowances or even their tuition is being paid late into the year. That many of them uh, who are eligible and due for for stipends uh, and or and living allowances uh, don't receive it, and that impacts their ability to actually go to school many of them not receiving transport allowances do you want to talk us through the just the operational complexities that nesvas faces thank you for that question uh, so most of those challenges mainly are legacy issues to, to uh, say, can I just pause you there? Just for one second, I, I just want to ask you to speak very directly into your phone so we can hear you much louder and we can just speak a little bit louder so we can hear you clearly. Most of the challenges that are operational challenges at NESPAS are legacy challenges, administrative challenges before um, NESPAS really equipped itself to deal with the process of student funding correctly. Uh, just to point you directly to the issue is that between 2016 up to 2018, 2019, the entity was under administration um, because at that point, the systems of NESFAS were not fit for purpose to actually process the students correctly. A lot of work has been done to reinvent the system to try and remap the student funding process I believe that at this point, when I look at our performance of 2022 program, that a lot of those issues have been dealt with. 
and just to give a sexual, um, a sexually, um, a sexual evidence that we have been able to pay for universities 99% of the funds that we were allocated by the department. So what that means is that we were able to process students that were claimed for by universities and paid all of them uh, less for the 1%. And we were also able to claim and process 100% of the Tivet College students now, in, in the Tivet, we had a minor variance of about 0.3%. Uh, now, they, those minor variances are what highlights or what are the symptoms of the queries that students will say we have not received NESFAS processes. Mm. But the main issues when you get into the detail of it is that a student could be funded by NESFAS, but they go and register for a course at an institution that is teaching out that student will not receive the payment because NESFAS will not fund for a, a qualification that is teaching out. Or the student has changed their, their details that we use to reach them to make the payment. Again, it takes time for the student to, to come back to us, update their contact details so that we can channel their funds correctly. It is those minor exceptions that remain in the system but all in all, a lot of work has been done to try to make sure that the systems are responsive to our beneficiaries. Is it your is it your claim that they are that NEFSAS has completely uh, uh, eradicated cases where students qualify for NEFSAS but don't receive funding unless in those instances where they are registered for courses or for programs that uh, don't fall within the prospectus. So it, it, I am not claiming 100% eradication. The fact that we still have the 2% and the minus 3 or the, the, the 3% means that those students, to the extent that they are still not resolved on time, there is no way that uh, NESPAS cannot exonerate ourselves. But it is a problem that is beyond NESPAS. It's a problem that, is, that touches on the student. It is a problem that touches on the institution. So... We have to collaborate to totally eradicate any student that does not receive the allowances. Mm. But by how far have you cut down delays? Um, by how far we have cut down the delays? In terms of so in terms of time wise, in terms of time. In terms of time wise, that is the part that we are now trying to put controls, very tight controls, um, in our planning process. In the past we had a very much open-ended process where institutions could submit their claims at any point throughout the year, and that leads to late uh, confirmation of funding for students. In this new academic year, we've actually communicated out to institutions the timeline for submission of registration data because it is a very critical aspect of us funding the students on time. We have asked all our institutions of higher learning to give NESPAS registration data by latest, the 31st of March. Um, that date, because the period from the beginning of the year up to that date, we are planning to release an advance payment so that institutions can relieve the students. So by the end of that period, we then have to make sure that whatever funds we are discussing, they can correctly be matched to fund the students. Um, we, we are going to really seriously managing 
this deadline and any institution that does not meet that deadline, they will have to uh, make a, a request, a special request as to why we should be funding them late when their registration is coming after that timeline. So Can we you... are waiting on the issue of timeline. Yeah. Uh, as far as other costs are concerned, because I think you've cleared up tuition costs being paid on time, registration costs being paid on time. Let's talk about accommodation and allowances. Can you give us a sense of what the state of affairs is in that in, of, uh, with regards to those payments? In terms of accommodation, in, in prior years, up to 20, end of 2022, institutions were responsible to allocate accommodation. And um, what we, our assessment is that not all our institutions have got systems ready to allocate student housing. And that process almost runs throughout the year because as they identify an accommodation, then they allocate and they subsequently submit uh, claims to NESCAS. And similarly, um, on allowances, it means that impact on the allowance. What we have done, um, or in fact the process that we are introducing this year, is to really try and build accommodation stock, working with our institutions, looking at the number of NESPAS-funded students that we have. We believe that if we have enough stock for, for, for student housing, we should be able to address the challenge where students uh, get to institutions, the accommodation is not confirmed. And we believe that if we can be able to settle all our students at the beginning of the year, we should then be able to also process the accommodation on time so that we can, uh, we can be able to have the students um, paid for, even for their accommodation allowance mm. on time. Mm. Yes. Yes, we, we are planning to also pay students directly. The, the, the major challenge we have had is that students have been saying to us they don't know when the NESPAS allowance will come. So we are working towards uh, um, work paying students on some type of a predictable date. If it is the 25th, we should be releasing payments on the 25th. So we have a, a project um, to pay students directly into their bank accounts. We would like all our students to register to be on the NESPAS uh, card so that when we have all of them, then we can be able to schedule our payments in a much more consistent way for our learning. So, so, so how are payments currently dispersed as far as allowances are concerned? So we, for universities, we pay them three months in advance. And for colleges, for private colleges, we pay them monthly. So, so the delay is happening at a university level? The delays, as uh, whatever delays has has been happening uh, from in in the year 2022 and beyond, it would be dependent on each institution to release their payments to their students. But that process was not um, driven within us. We would advance the institutions, and they would subsequently then pay the students. Mm-hmm. If, if if you were to pay the students directly, that would eradicate the problem of delays. We do believe that we will eradicate the problem of delays because um, in the main, we, we schedule payments. We, we determine how much each student should be paid. And instead of us paying over that money to the institution, then to still then pay the student, we believe we will cut the, the, the long chain if we can just pay the student directly after we have determined the allowance. Yeah. Give us a call, 086-000-2032. I want to take a couple of callers uh, uh, from, from who called in on our line. Thomas in East London, good morning. Good morning, Oliver. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. Do you have a comment and a question? What's on your mind? Go ahead. 
Can uh, Oliver, I want you to talk about a little bit of skills because I heard earlier on the radio somebody was talking about ESCOM suffering because the engineers they left ESCOM after '94 and opened up their own businesses, which is causing ESCOM to suffocate, and it's easy for them to escalate the prices for for their services. But Oliver, all the the, the state institutions in the past. During the apprenticeship, even most of the artisans we're having now and engineers were trained in those institutions through FET. But why now is the government not going back to this? Because they, they dropped the system that was working then. But now we are in the confusion because before, before 2010, when the stadium was about to be built, there was an indication for, for, for censors that we have got a shortage of 25,000 artisans per year that we must cover. But when you look at the training institutions now, they are far from covering that. That's why our government institutions are failing. Because when you train the, the, the artisans up to a, an engineer, you, mm. you have agreement with them that they must at least serve between five and 10 years in the, the, the government institutions. Okay. And then you, you release them thereafter. Then the ESCOM, Transnet, Genel, most of those, those those institutions were not supposed to be suffer as they are suffering now. Okay, Thomas, thank you so much for that. Uh, Dr. Nkosinat, I want to bring you back to answer that question. Uh, are we, sh- should we blame higher education for the failure of uh, the skills or deficit in our uh, state institutions? <coughs> Uh, that's because that's, e- that's effectively the claim Thomas makes that the failure starts there. <laughs> no, I understand. I understand the point that uh, that Thomas is making. Let me uh, um, uh, appreciate the 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 point. Uh, we, the, certainly, post school education and training has an, an important role in increasing the skills base of the country. And uh, uh, one of the biggest initiatives in the last five to 10 years in in the department has been a program called the Labor Market Intelligence Program, where we work with uh, uh, planners and modelers to look into the future to say what kind of skills will be required uh, uh, in uh, by 2030, by, 20, uh, by, by 2063. And uh, we work backwards to then uh, work with our institutions to redirect curriculum planning uh, towards that 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 area. Um, we have a TVET system uh, that works. I think um, uh, uh, what we need to do now is to increase its capacity, you know, so that uh, we produce more artisans. The country needs middle-level skills uh, uh, more, more, and because of this, we have to. You know, you know, you know. Look into areas of science, engineering, technology, and uh, and and invest more in in those uh, in that regard. Mm. We had one center for trade testing uh, in Indlela. We've now ensured that in each province there are trade testing. Uh, uh, there's a trade testing capacity, yeah. so that we are closest to uh, the, you know many artisans who. Or to qualify in a particular area, but uh, they they need uh, the, the, uh, uh, you know those skills to be affirmed. So yeah. a lot of work is being done. Uh, 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 there's there's um, merit in what uh, 
uh, the caller is saying. Uh, but uh, as a department, I think we've anticipated this, this and we've worked very well to try and increase the capacity. Uh, we are talking about 4 million students that uh, we want to, to admit in the next couple of of, of, of years. Yeah. Uh, but uh, if you allow me, I just wish to say that uh, the biggest uh, animal in the uh, in the house is not the, the 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 needs of current students that are in our institutions. Our biggest challenge as a country is to uh, create opportunity for those young people who are not in education, not in employment, and not in any form of training. And we are talking about close to 4 million of those young people in the country. And therefore, in as much as it is important to cater for the needs of the current set of students that are there, as a country, we have uh, taken a decision that we are not going to allow that situation where such numbers of young people are not in training. That is why through the National Skills Fund, we are beginning to roll out programs to uh, particularly in the area of agriculture and the area of information technology uh, to absorb many of those young people. But on the other hand, um, we are also revising the curricula, particularly the end courses, uh, you know, you know, up in the process of being rev reviewed and, and revised uh, so that uh, we are able to address the uh, area of scarce skills in the country. Yeah. Let's take another call. Luther in Pizana. Luther, good morning. Uh, hi, Oliver. Mm, go ahead, sir. Yes. Sir. No, sir, I just want to to, 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 to get a light from the director about the Elusiri College that the president highlighted about the reopening of it. How far are they with that uh, 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 college? Because it was shut down uh, uh, out of not knowing what was it's shut down for, okay. and then now, uh, and the, and the, what what is going to happen to that to that Lusigi uh, 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 College? How far are they now with sure. the reopening of it? And then now, what about varsity colleges? Why are they? Why, why, how far are you with the opening of varsity colleges in the rural areas, especially in the Pondoland areas and skills colleges? Because our kids now are not working, sitting seated there in the little shops doing nothing. Why are you not opening skills colleges in those deserted uh, 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 training colleges that you shut down? You shut. You made a big mistake of shutting down okay. the training colleges in the rural areas of our of our country. Why? Okay, Luther. Why thank you so you much. Luther, thank you so much for your call. Appreciate it. DG, do you want to respond to that? Yeah. Uh, f firstly, uh, uh, we have uh, uh, built a new college called Ikala College. Uh, which is a brand new college, and it's already enrolled a number of young people in the area of Lesukusiki. Uh, but uh, we have also re we've also received uh, a request that uh, in the area of Lesukusiki we build a, a new campus, you know. And I think uh, this is receiving the the attention of the department uh, in that regard. I think it's also important uh, to 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 address the issue of why colleges were closed down, the, the former teacher colleges that were there. You know, uh, the, the whole issue about education is, is about quality. And uh, I think we know that uh, in the past, one of the biggest challenges was, uh, you know, separating theory and practice to have institutions that are 
primarily focus on practice without uh, you know uh, uh, aligning that to the theoretical you know you know uh, area of 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 those fields and therefore graduates go to the field but they are uh, shallow in their in their in their you know understanding of the careers that yeah. they, they graduated from we've fixed this by aligning those colleges with universities so that we combine both uh, you know the, 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 these two areas the university of south africa currently is the largest a teacher development, uh, 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 you know, uh, um, it has the largest teacher development college, uh, you know, in the country. And uh, the quality of teachers that we are producing as a result of this is, uh, is you know, yeah. one of the best. And I think that is where we want to go. Uh, but what is important uh, is that uh, each of these institutions also have a footprint in the deepest rural parts of our country okay. so that accessibility of education is is uh, is assured did you take a quick break over there we'll continue the conversation on the other side of this hi oliver Lebohan from pretoria i think the department is forgetting about the students who are in private colleges i mean i'm an in-tech student People have not gotten their results since last year, June, and they wrote the results last year, December. We are still waiting. I'm waiting for my refund from the college as well of 28,000 rent. I'm not getting help. I feel like these private colleges, especially the distant learning colleges, they are taking more students that they can, than they can handle. The department really needs to look into that. We urge the department to help us just investigate these private colleges, Intec and Damilene especially. Thank you. DG, do you want to maybe spend a minute reflecting on that particular question, but also responding, you know, about giving us a response to what the Department of Higher Education Training response is to unscrupulous, unregistered uh, colleges that are often fly-by-nights or that mistreat uh, students administratively? Uh, thank you very much for that question. Um, in the website of our department, uh, we 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 urge um, you know um, our citizens to really take advantage of this uh, to uh, you know make sure that uh, if they are not sure about the status of any institution, they can call us or. or use that to, to communicate it so that we can uh, give them the status of that institution. I think it's very important that we do so. So we want, uh, you know, our, you know, you, you know, students uh, to be very careful, you know, about about this. Regarding uh, the, the, the two institutions, Intel, private institutions, Intel and Damelin, uh, we will gladly assist uh, uh, and I would like to speak to the to the caller uh, offline about this to see what we can do. But uh, I think it would be incorrect to paint a picture that suggests that our private colleges and private universities uh, are uh, a liability in, in, in the education and training system. They are actually an asset. They complement the public education and training system. Uh, we, uh, on daily basis, receive uh, requests by these institutions to improve their curricula. And I can assure you that in the next five to 10 years, uh, private uh, institutions will be providing the most unique uh, curriculum programs uh, in the country. And this will 
very well complement the public uh, education and training system. There are problems in, in, in areas where we are requested to intervene, we'll definitely uh, 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 do so. Yeah. And uh, we would like uh, uh, to make ourselves available to assist in that regard. Good morning, Oliver. Ayanda speaking in Cape Town. I was speaking to a friend of mine a couple of days ago. She gave me alarming and shocking news when she informed me that NSFAS has um, revisited their acceptance criteria. As a result, many students that were previously funded have unfortunately received letters that say they will not be funded in this current financial year because of changes in, 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 in criteria. Can your guests please elaborate more on that? I hear this guy is talking about budgets that has been increased, but what about those learners that are in the verge of quitting or not even finishing their studies because they can't receive funding anymore? Beautiful question. And to saying, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that question. Very, That question is quite detailed, and I may want to add, uh, does NESFAS have a formidable plan to, uh, you know, to give a safety net to students that fall in the missing middle? Thank you very much for the listener for that question on why the NESFAS is applying strictly the criteria. I need to highlight aspects of the criteria that NESFAS is, is implementing very strictly adhering to the 350,000 threshold that has been determined as a policy to fund a student. So any student that does not meet that financial eligibility requirement is unfunded. The second is that students must pass. So there is a requirement, you register for a certain number of courses, you are also expected to pass a certain number of courses and this is in the policy, it was communicated. So each and every student that is uh, funded by NESPAS is required to achieve academic success at a particular rate. Mm. Now, that, that is implemented. The, second, the, the third aspect of it is that NESPAS will fund a student to achieve a first-time undergraduate qualification. Um, NESPAS does not fund postgraduate studies. And NEFAS does not fund students that are doing a second undergraduate qualification. Now, as you pursue uh, first undergraduate qualification as a student, you are required to achieve and complete that qualification within the time period of the qualification plus just one year extra. So meaning mm. a student can just work, stay for one, one, one and, and still be funded. What yeah. we are seeing is that there are students that are getting more than one, that actually appeal for more than one year. And, and unfortunately, as the DG was saying, over the last five years, over the last five financial years, NESCA's demand has increased from when we were funding just about 5 billion to 47 billion. Mm -hmm. So there is quite a high number of students that uh, qualify for funding. And that means very, very, um, uh, students that really need to be funded and that uh, are, are determined to succeed are the students that, that need to be funded. Just, 
Just a final question. Do you not think into saying that that 350,000 rand blanket application should be revisited? Uh, 350,000 rand may work in a household where you are going to university that's cheaper than another. Not all our universities cost the same for the same degree programs. Some are more expensive than others. And so that 350 threshold uh, may well be applicable in one instance, but not in another. Doesn't it need a new approach? Um, so, so I'm going to ask the DG to, to chip in and assist me here. But what I want to highlight is that um, NESCAS just implements the policy of government. And at this point in time, the funding policy, um, as determined by government, is that NESCAS must only consider okay. that are within that threshold. DG? Unless there is... Uh, a, a, yes, thank you. DG? And that also touches on the issue of okay. missing, uh, missing middle students. DG, is there a policy review necessary? Uh, no, the, uh, I think what has caused confusion is the fact that NSFAS produce guidelines uh, every year and they keep revising these guidelines to assist our institutions. And uh, recently, one of the proposals that have been made in one of our guidelines is that uh, recipients of NSFAS must also have a duty to um, uh, apply themselves to their studies and and succeed so that they spend the the length of the program no no but uh, the question is know, the in, question is very specifically dg the question is very specifically about the 350000 rand threshold is that a threshold that needs to be relooked given that in some instances it may work if you go to a particular university but universities don't cost the same i agree i agree that uh, uh, it's been 5 years that we have not revised the threshold and uh, with inflation clearly uh, there is a need for revision but at this point in time, this is what the country can afford. And, uh, and we are working on a new uh, student funding model that seek to address all of these issues. And okay. I think uh, I'm very happy to say that uh, after the ministerial task team, you know, on a comprehensive funding model, the report has already been finalized and uh, we are ready to table this before our cabinet uh, okay. for approval. Thank because you so much. To, to, we're going to have to leave it there, unfortunately. But thank you so much, DJ, for your time. And to saying, really appreciate your time as well. That brings us to the end of the conversation. Two minutes after 11. I'm so sorry, Anne Musa, but it's time for the news.